0: Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Thank you for coming to today's show. I am Caroline. I'm your host. Today, we have two absolute legends in this space joining us to talk about tactical multi-threading strategies to move deals forward. So you are in the right place if you've come for a free education this morning, buckle up, We have Morgan Buchanan, one of my best friends uh, and a fantastic account executive mid-market at Specket. And we have Nate, my new friend, and he's the founder at Fluent. So we're super excited to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Real quick before we dive in, if you're looking to level up your sales skills in 2023, look no further than this little QR code right here. Go ahead and scan it and save this for after the session today. Uh, This show is going to teach you so much, but you'll get instant access to so much more um, if you sign up for Sell Better. So please feel free to scan this QR code. We're super excited to see more of you. And a really big thank you to our partner, uh, Zoom Info, for helping to make these shows possible. So we have a daily value drop from Zoom Info. We're going to link it in the chat. It's basically a custom prospecting list. So again, for any seller in this room, um, this is going to be invaluable for you. So make sure to check that out in the chat. All right. Before we dive into the agenda, question for the audience. Uh, We'd like to know who is in the room. So take a sec. Let us know. Are you a leader, an individual contributor? Are you an SDR? We're so excited to have you no matter what. Um, We're just super curious. We want to make this as valuable to you as possible. Awesome. We got a lot of AEs in the room today. That's so cool. Nice. All right. So today's agenda, we are going to talk about what is multithreading, how to leverage it. We're going to talk about strategies for effective multithreading in all sales cycle stages. So we're going to kind of debunk the myth that multi-threading has to happen at one stage versus another. Um we're also going to talk about the do's and don'ts of multi-threading. This one's super important. That people in the room, you know, some people might be thinking like what should you not do in multi-threading and we've got some answers for you. <laughs> so, Nate and Morgan, I just want to talk, you know, really quick before we kind of launch into the content. What are both of your
1: definitions of multi-threading?
2: I think, Morgan, you had a great one when we were talking earlier. So I'll let you kick it off.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. So I think of multi-threading in a couple of different ways. The first way is it's a great way to reduce the um, deals that you have in your sales cycle by um, ensuring that there are multiple different people and teams who have buy in in your solution and in whatever project you're helping your uh, main point of contact or your champion achieve. The second way is to accelerate deal velocity. Because when multiple people in multiple departments really feel like they need your solution, you're probably going to get your deal done a little bit quicker because you've got more buy-in and more excitement. Mm -hmm. The second way that I think about it is um, shoring up the deal post-close by reducing that risk. If your champion, your main point of contact gets laid off or leaves, It's something that is really, really important to ensure the success of your project for your customer success team. You don't want to be known as that AE who hands off a deal and then it immediately falls apart as soon as implementation happens. And then finally, I think it's a great way to pressure test your champion. You know, Are they willing to introduce you to additional folks in the room who would have buy-in or are they holding them close? And if they are, then you've still got work to do. Um, to continue to sell and gain their trust so that you can eventually feel good about reaching out to those people and getting their buy-in. Mm, I love that
0: pressure testing your champions. That's like it's a really cool way to think about it. Nay, what about you? do you, Do you feel like you have any differing opinions or similar thoughts?
2: No, not. I mean, Morgan, I think you touched on all of the the key bases. I would give you my short take, which is simply curating the buying committee. Even if one person could unilaterally say, hey, this is it. We're going to sign the deal and move forward. Nobody's going to do that because they want their team to actually use the products in order to reach the outcome that they're buying for in the first place. So it's making sure that everybody that they need to bring to the table to agree, come to consensus as a voice in the process. And most times that's going to be your job as the seller. Even if you have a truly high influence tested, pressure tested champion, they may need some help thinking about, who all do we need to include based on how the sale typically goes down? So curating the right buying committee.
0: I love that. I think both of you have kind of opened my perception of what it means. Um, You know, I think to Morgan's point, you're essentially ensuring that this actually works because nobody wants churn, right? Like nobody wants to sell something and then have it just churn in the next six months. Like you're, you're really ensuring that this works long term. So I really love both of your answers there um where have you seen multi-threading as being successful and i think i mean this in a couple different ways so at what stage in the bicycle but also who should be multi-threading sdrs aes what do you both think
2: go for it <laughs> you're
1: such a Gentleman, you're such a gentleman. <laughs> uh, so i really think that you should multi-thread early and often what I like to do is, let's say that I've got a meeting scheduled, whether it was inbound or outbound with someone from a specific company. I like to really do great discovery and get information from them that I can then leverage to reach out to additional teams. So there's a big focus, obviously, on personalization and relevance when you're doing cold outbound. Even if one lead comes inbound and then you're going to multi-thread to that, the rest of the account, you're now cold outbounding to the rest of the account. So you have insider knowledge to be as relevant and as personalized as possible to really get the attention and hopefully the buy-in um, of other folks that would be critical to um, getting your deal closed One,
2: So I I agree with that. And I'll build on that based on a conversation that I had last week. I was um, on site with a customer. We were doing a large workshop with the entire sales leadership. So there was about 25, 26 different BPs of sales for all the different regions in the room. And the CEO was there and we were kind of talking through some different practices. And his point was the thing that frustrates me most is when I'm called into a deal at the finish line. Maybe something's blowing up, you need me to like try to save a deal based on a relationship that I have with the other executive in that deal. And his point was like, I can only do something if I'm involved early to make sure that things are set up on the right foot. And so his point was, especially as it relates to multi-threading with executives or beginning to, oftentimes your access to members of the buying committee will mirror their access to your own internal team. So if you want to meet an executive, bring an executive. But his point was, don't wait. Do that early, which Morgan, I think that was your point as well as like, the earlier the better.
1: Yeah. And I like that. Oh, sorry, Caroline. I love that um, idea of mirroring people. So I think that that's so important, especially when you're speaking with executives. I recently had a call where um, my champion warned me. She was like, this CIO does not talk to salespeople. And sure enough, I was even addressing them on the call and they would not like even respond to me when I asked how their day was. The deal, I closed one the deal. Like I I won the deal. But um I had to bring in someone from our executive team to meet him where he was so that eventually he would uh address me or wouldn't respond when spoken to by me. So
2: I get I guess that's another definition of multi-threading is you're introducing so many interesting personalities into the deal. Like that is such a interesting way to posture and position yourself as an executive. Fortunately, most that we work with that hasn't been the case, but that's a very, yeah, interesting one. You meet some funny people as the deal develops. Yep.
0: It's like horrifying. I feel like that's such a, that, that's not a great way to act as a human in general, but you know what? I'm glad to close the deal, Morgan. Yep. Um. But Nate, to your point, like I, I, when I was an SDR, I used to have great conversations with one person for like three weeks. And I'd be like, all right, so we're ready to sign, right? And they'd be like, well, I've got to talk to my boss. And like, you didn't do that already? And it's like, it's not always their fault because for people in the audience, if you think about it, this isn't their full time job to sell your product or to sell your mm-hmm. offering. You have to equip people with the tools and resources necessary to internally sell and to multi thread. And I think that brings us to kind of an interesting topic, Nate. You know, I know you talk a lot about internal multi-threading versus external multi-threading. Can you talk a little bit about what this means to you and what folks can take away from this?
2: Yeah. So, uh, a lot of the work that we do focuses on more complex deals in an enterprise style setting. So, the basic idea is that you as a seller, you are more orchestrating an entire group in order to get a deal done. Just you involved in the deal, you're not going to be able to bring the level of executive presence, technical expertise, and so on. And so, it's basically saying like, hey, this doesn't have to all be on your shoulders. You need to build your own internal buying committee in order to, like we were talking about previously, mirror the access of who your champions are bringing to the table on their side. So there's internal versus external multi-threading, and the basic idea is like everybody inside of your company is equally pressured for time. They're working on a number of different projects, and let's say you're working with somebody who previously had a failed and just totally botched project. They're a little nervous now, like, is this actually going to go how you say it's going to go? It may make sense to bring somebody from implementation or CS onto calls with you, but what are they doing? They're servicing customers all day long. And so you'll need to do a good job of involving them at the right time and setting them up to shine on a call. And so you need to put as as much thoughtfulness and preparation into working with your own team in the deal as the buying committee who's external in the deal.
0: Absolutely and we talk a lot about like you know sharing those resources equipping people to do this internally what are some examples that you both have of ways that you've done that like resources that you've given a champion collateral that you've provided for teams like what are some examples of that
1: yeah i think you know it depends on your organization and the resources that you're given by, like if you've got a product marketing team or if your marketing team is is helping you out with decks and things like that. But I think that um, especially you know, working at a startup, at least from my perspective, we have a deck that we work off of that has just all kinds of resources to use. And then I will cherry pick based on what I think my champion needs, who's going to be in the room, who are they going to be talking to, who am I trying to get through to. Um, so I will pick the most relevant, uh, content for them. I think that, you know, and this goes back to a little bit of the pressure testing. Um, I think that one great way to pressure test your champion or your point of contact is to hype them up for this conversation that they might be having with their boss. This conversation that they might be having with executive leadership and see if they're, you know, are they balking at it and are they saying, whoa, you know, I don't know about this. I can't do it. Or are they leaning in? Are they getting excited? Are they asking you for questions? Are they asking you for more help? And so I think that that is a really great way um, to get an idea of really where you're at um, and really avoid getting happy
2: years too early on. And I'll build on that by saying to enable the champion, when they do, they're like, yes, I'm going to bring this in front of the ELT or leadership team. Then your job as a seller to enable them with a very clear and a compelling message. And most times... A champion is is going to look at a a branded deck like a billboard and they'll say like look this feels very templated marketing speak this doesn't sound like me and you want them to walk in confident delivering a crisp message so i'm a big fan of co-creating a narrative in the champion's own language how they would be talking to their team and then helping them shape the message so the more they have a stake in building that message with you that they'll then take One, they're going to be more confident in delivering a message that you also got to shape, even if you're not going to be in the room for that conversation the first time around. And then second, um, back to the consistent theme, Morgan, that you're raising is like, it's a phenomenal way to pressure test. Like, are they able to elevate messaging up to something that would appeal to their executives? And are they actually involved in that process with you? Do they want to be a part of it? And you can begin to get some pretty clear signals as you begin to create that messaging together.
0: Yeah. You can also overcome objections easier. When you involve more people, you are getting ahead of the objections that will eventually come down the road anyway. You're just involving more people sooner. So you're getting to those objections sooner and more effectively.
2: Mm -hmm. Right on.
0: Yeah. We have a question in the chat. Um, So someone says, not every deal warrants a multi-threading approach. So what if in some cases it causes the decision-making to be delayed? And I think that's a great segue into our next topic, which is, you know. Who does the multi-threading and when? Um, so I'll let you both kind of take on your personal takes on this. Who is doing the multi-threading? I know we've talked a little bit about as early as often as possible, but what if what if this person is is right? You know, what if it just delays a deal? What what do we do then?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, calling up the question in the chat, you know, my perspective is really from the S and B mid Market space. And I think that I have had a couple of deals where the person that I'm talking to has said, These are the people that we're eventually going to need to get in the room. Please do not reach out to them yet. Like, I will work on them and then we can bring them in. Granted, when that has happened, those are the deals that generally, you know, they're withholding information. It's a little bit of a red flag. But I think that when you're in the SMB to mid market space, um, that might be a situation where you might literally have one person who's going to own whatever is related to whatever you're selling to that project or that tool or what have you. Um, because it's just a smaller team, but I think that in today's economy, those deals are few and far between. And so, I think um, you know, with who is doing the mar- the multi-threading and win. If you're an AE, I feel like the AE should own the strategy, and then if you're working with a BDR, then help the BDR with that messaging. Um, but it depends on how the books of business are divided um, and things like that. So that's my perspective from that SMB mid-market space. I totally agree. I, I think to your point, it is kind of a red flag when you hear prospects say like, here are the
0: people you can't reach out to in this deal. They're, they're almost like coveting those people being super protective of them. Um, so it's difficult to kind of break down those walls. Like Morgan, what do you what do you say to that? Like when a prospect says that to you, how do you kind of handle that objection? Or do you just say,
1: hey, no worries? Like what what's your response there? I think always seek to understand and come from a place of, of genuine uh, curiosity. So, you know, I also I always want to respect what my prospect is saying to me. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm a new seller and that's going to burn me. You know, talk to me in five years, but (laughs) I I choose to believe that they're telling me something for a reason. I just want to be very, very clear as to why they're telling me to do that. And it might be, you know, they're way too busy. And if I put something else on their plate right now, they're just gonna say no right away. Like, here's my strategy for waiting. This is what we're gonna do. This is when we're gonna do it. Like, that's one thing. It's another thing if they're like, well, you know, it's just not the right time. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Nate, what do you think about that?
2: Well, I'll, I'll give you kind of my perspective on the enterprise side of the house. So oftentimes your champion is going to be the one who's taking the lead on multi-threading with their team, because it is always going to be far more effective to get others into the conversation when it's an internal person, a known person, they already have some history and track record with other people. And so Morgan, to your point, like seek to understand first, maybe there's some dynamic that they're aware of that you're not yet aware of. They want to begin to pave a path. And make sure that that first conversation gets off on the right foot after delivering some context. So the first piece is like back to your original question, who's doing the multi-threading? Ideally, it's your champion who is bringing and engaging those people in because you're just success rate of involving more people and in a way that is truly engaging for them is going to be higher. But that said, most complex deals oftentimes will start to fall in between different P&Ls or in between different business units. And so it's pretty common that they won't even know the person that they do need to multi-thread with when you think about 30, 40 plus contacts inside of a deal. And so that's where it's on the AE to to do some thoughtful account research, some deep mapping to figure out who else can I invite into the conversation and really introduce for the first time. And so it wouldn't be uncommon that we would be starting a big group meeting with introductions not so that we as sellers could meet the buying team, but so that the buying team could meet each other, which again, that goes back to your role as the AE helping the champion.
0: Mm, and I keep thinking about what you said earlier curating your buying committee, like making sure that you have each person who needs to sit at the table introduced at the table. Everyone's gotten to know each other. And that can be difficult. And I think to this person's question in the chat, it can delay a deal. But my question to you and to play devil's advocate is, it's worth delaying a deal a little bit to make sure that the deal goes well, right? And to make sure that what you implement actually sticks. So I wouldn't worry too much about delaying the deal um, because multi threading is really important. So, you know, I, I think these are just fantastic tips. Um, we had another question uh, just directly to us about after getting this kind of a response, how many follow up emails should be sent to that lead? That's so a really good question. I'm wondering kind of what you both think about that. Like, how, how do you bug or nudge your champion to multi thread without bothering them? <laughs> Nate, I'll let you go
1: first on this one.
2: <laughs> well, it's, um, I'll, I'll kind of give you a slightly adjacent answer because part of the point that we were talking about earlier is that the more you're multi threaded early in the deal, the better. So it's less about how many times do you need to keep going to the same person. The whole point is, well, you shouldn't be relying on a single thread in the first place. If you're following through on the practices and principles of you're seeding a couple different paths into an account early on, then it's less keep going deep with this one. Maybe you just shift some focus and you approach at another angle with another contact.
0: Mm, I like that. Shifting the focus. Yeah, that's cool. Morgan, what do you think?
1: Well, I thought about it a little bit more simplistic, simplistically, Is that a word? (laughs) I will (laughs) Um, So I thought about it more as like, you know, if you're going, think about it as you would with your normal cadence for your emails. Like you wouldn't, I would almost err on the side of send fewer emails and space them out more because you don't want to run the risk of someone in one department going to your champion and saying, hey, this salesperson is blowing me up. This is not okay. Like tell them to stop. So you want to be ultra respectful and you want to be sure that you are following up with highly personalized, highly relevant content to them in their role. Um, I think that the stakes are much higher than when you might be sending out your your email cadence or whatever you're called cadence to, um, to someone who is from a new account or something like that. So. Oh
0: my gosh, totally agree. And the enablement leader in me wants to kind of just hone in and double click on what you both said. Morgan, I heard you say that when you send someone something, it should be full of value, like relevant value. It shouldn't just be an email that says, hey, checking in. What's up? Like, You know, if if you're going to follow up with someone, make sure that you're being relevant, make sure that you're sending them something that could be useful. Um, Make sure that you're sending them content that's going to be forwarded around to their colleagues. Um, And then also, you know, always think of this in terms of a sequence, because if you're just going to send one off emails or templates, It's gonna be hard to track the success of that first of all second of all you might get lost in the sauce forget how many emails you sent to someone and end up kind of bothering them so my recommendation to everyone out there if you don't have a cadence or sequence specifically geared toward a movement like this or a motion like this develop one um you know in terms of how many touches that's gonna depend right like you don't want to email someone more than i'd say once a week if you're gonna check in like this But also you you can also ask your champion hey how can i stay top of mind for you how can i be relevant for you without bugging you and and turning you off to me into this product like how can i stay top of mind for you um but these are such great questions in the chat and they keep leading us to our next points so nate was kind enough to come up with this awesome template for us um so for those of you asking how do you email how frequently do you email nate do you want to take us through this template that you created for everyone
2: Yeah, so the the basic idea is that the more you can use invitational phrasing and language, the more receptive, one, that person is going to be to the invite, and two, I think everybody there's like this unspoken fear among sellers is like, but what if I reach out and somebody gets pissed off that I'm going around them? That's generally like the, the question that comes to people's mind. And I don't think anybody was ever mad that you extended a thoughtful invitation to include their voice in the process. And so that's way, the way that this is phrased is, is like, hey, I was hoping to include you in a conversation about this priority with this team. Would it make sense for you to weigh in on this? And if, hey, if it doesn't sound relevant right now or at this stage, you know, all good, you just tend to be close to this topic at first. Yeah. And so this is also very applicable or relevant to the scenario that we were talking about when your champion doesn't actually know the person that you do need to get involved, This is a way for you to get wide in an account very early on, reaching out to different roles, perspectives um, early. So give it a shot. Always found good success with it.
0: I love it. This is so fantastic. And Morgan, when it comes to stuff like this, do you prefer to follow up via phone, email, LinkedIn? Can you
1: see yourself using a template like this too? Yeah. I mean, in our pre-call, I copied and pasted this immediately into my templates and outreach. But, you know, I think that it's um, it's something that I would absolutely use. I would be sure to I, I was just looking at the chat, so I got a little distracted, but I think that this relates. So someone asked, would you multi-thread with a prospect who said they are not interested? I think there was also someone who asked like, how do you do that without pissing off your champion if you're not going to tell them that you're multi-threading? And I think like you, if you do do good discovery, you should be able to have something that you can then go off of to make this very, very relevant and ensure that, you know, you're not coming at someone with information that's new or offensive or or something like that. I generally avoid using my prospect's name. I'll just say, hey, I was speaking with someone, you know, in XYZ department, or I spoke with someone on your team who mentioned blah, blah, blah. Um, But I will say that when sending emails like this to executives, um, in the same example of the CIO who wouldn't talk to me, Um, i also had to get buy-in from the cro so i actually sent an email to the cro that was maybe two sentences and it just said hey you know it was about a cpq implementation your enterprise selling motion is dependent on your cpq motion or excuse me your enterprise selling motion is dependent on your cpq rollout uh like how are you thinking about blah 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 and she responded right away and tagged in multiple people from her team that were necessary to get their buy-in as well. And so I think that the more relevant you can be early on, especially with executives, um, the better. Mm, I love that. Yeah.
0: We always talk about how do you prospect into the executive level? And I think that's a really great, tangible example.
2: I'll, uh, I'll add to some of the questions on the chat, Morgan, that you were um, jumping on there. So Meg and Jim, I'll kind of tie your questions together. So Meg, it can be a one-off email, for example, in the case where you need to get a new contact that somebody doesn't have an existing relationship with into the deal. It can also be um, NCC and then Jim, group versus individual. So I'm a big fan of affordable emails. So you could use this as a way to write to your champion, labeling somebody, um, hey, Morgan, do you think it makes sense to include Caroline in this? Morgan forwards it on to Caroline while seeing me as the seller. So I'm on the thread, but I've done the hard work of writing, curating the message. And Morgan's like, you know, hey, Caroline, see below. What do you think? We're scheduled next Friday, something like that. Um, And then the one other spin on that is, Jim, I would think of it less as group emails or individual emails. I would do both. Let's say you have a meeting with five contacts on the buying team. You write a recap to all five, but then you forward that on to one specific individual with a more um, relevant call to action based on their role in the deal.
0: Love this. This is such a great, like, that's such a great motion right there, Nate. I love that. Um, so I think, too, to kind of cap this off before I show everyone uh, my best recommendation for how to kind of create a referral ask list, and I'll dive into what that means in a second. Keep in mind, you can get creative with all this, too. And, and you know, you can put a recap in a video. Um, if you're emailing someone who has not heard of your product yet, And you are attempting to externally multi-thread and kind of get them in the loop you can make a really quick video 30 seconds hey i'm caroline i work for this company and you know i'm talking with this person we're gonna be talking about this and this wanted to create a quick video to kind of just catch you up right get you up to speed before uh, you know we all meet next week so keep in mind you can you can kind of take some creative approaches to this stuff too um even in addition to emailing and, and calling and reaching out So I wanted to show everyone really quick what I do, my kind of personal recommendation for how to build a referral ask list. So Nate, Morgan, I'm sure both of you have had this uh, instance happen to you. You're on the phone with the prospect, you book a great meeting, you're so excited, you're at the end of the call and you freeze up. You're like, well, should we invite anyone else? Is there anyone else that you want to join this call? And I'm gonna tell you all why I kind of hate that question, right? It puts the work on the prospect to then come up with okay who, who should we invite i don't even know much about this product yet how am i supposed to know who we should invite this is just exploratory so here's what i'd recommend build a list of people at that company who you are going to ask hey like should we invite this person uh morgan should we invite nate because nate is the head of xyz and typically heads of xyz like to be involved in these conversations So you're essentially coming with a perspective and there's an easy way to do this. You can see who is connected to whom on LinkedIn by typing in your current company in this field. So let's use Specit as an example, Morgan. (laughs) Um, And then you're going to do connections of we'll do connections of Morgan right? So we want to see connections of Morgan at Speckett. So this is going to show us who Morgan is connected to at her own company. This might give us a better idea, especially if you're at a huge company where everyone might not know everyone. This might give you a good idea of who Morgan is currently connected to. You can take a look at what teams those people are on. This also can give you an idea of new people that you might not have even known about at this company. Um, You can also add current job title or function or whatever the case may be, however you want to filter that down. Um, but that's just kind of a super quick way to come with a, come with a point of view,
1: come with a perspective, right? Morgan, have you ever done (laughs) that? Well, and yeah, what I was going to add is I think, you know, even if you're doing that when you've already, perhaps if you're a BDR, book the meeting, or if you're an AE, you're preparing for your discovery call. I think that having that list drawn up ahead of time, um, either to do what you were talking about, Caroline, to suggest folks, or like you've already done half the work about, um, who am I going to multi-thread to? Who am I going to reach out to at this account?" So you've set yourself up for success either way. Yeah, totally. Nate, what do
0: you think? Do you think it's better to come with kind of specific people early on or do you think it's best to ask like who do they think should show up? What are are your thoughts?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, um, again, I don't think it's either or. You can label somebody in specific and then be corrected to say, no, it's definitely not Caroline. It would be Morgan. Here's why. And you're not going to get that level of specific detail unless you are bringing some detailed and specific requests forward. Because um, when you, you when you name somebody, what comes to the mind, what you know about them, their likes, dislikes, their current projects, what they're incentivized on, how they work inside of the company. And so just a specific name, it makes it that much more practical for somebody to consider. Eh, yes, but let's first talk to Caroline and then we'll go back to Morgan.
1: I
0: love that. And you know, before we proceed, question for the audience. I know you guys have been giving us such good questions throughout this entire show, so keep them coming. If you have a question, you can put it in the chat. You can put it in the Q and A uh, box, but put a one in the chat if you have ever asked the question at the end of a call. Who should I? Who should we be including in this call? Who should we be looping in here in this conversation? I'm curious. So we already have a lot of people kind of taking this approach. Yeah.
1: Nate, I saw your one. I was like, I did that this last week when I realized. Be honest, my research.
0: Like, (laughs) it's not a bad thing. Like to Nate's point, it's not. It's not either or. Like you can do both. I think from an SDR perspective, when I was a seller, when I would do that, I would just get kind of silence on the other end. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, who should we invite? You tell me. Um, and so coming with that perspective was kind of like a game changer for me. Um. But awesome. So, you know, to kind of recap what we've been talking about, we've talked about multi threading as early as possible and using multi threading as a pressure test for your champion. And, Morgan and Nate, if you were to sum up kind of what we've been talking about into a couple sentences or a couple key topics, what would you guys say are the other couple main topics of multi threading, main
2: takeaways for our audience? Oh, put me on the spot, Nate. I eight. Uh, um, i'm I'm not going to answer the question directly because I forgot something that I wanted to add, so it's not going to be a summary. i'm going to I'm going give you one more thing. But it goes back to this idea or the theme of curating the buying committee. Most times we think more is always better. Let's get more contacts, more people in the deal. That's how we create safety. We actually create safety in the deal by getting the right people with influence. And so one of the questions that you can also ask, back to like you're ending a call, um, one question that you can ask when you don't have a specific name is whose advice do you typically turn to and trust when a project is really important to you? Mm -hmm. Chances are that person is the one that you want to be a part of or even helping to get more folks and the committee aligned. Because if like when they speak, everybody like leans in and they're like, oh, tell me more. Like they go quiet and they want to know what they have to say. You want them involved in your conversations. So it's not always more contacts is the goal of multi-threading. It's getting to the right um, and high influence contacts in the deal. So there's maybe a little bit of summary in there because it's the theme of curating the buying committee, multi-threading being the tactic in order to do that.
1: Yeah. And I think too, I loved the focus on internal multi-threading versus external multi-threading as well. Mm, I love that. And on the
0: topic of point number one here, question for the audience, do you think after all of this conversation now, do you still think SDR should be multi-threading on the first touch? Do you still think it should be as early as possible? So let's see. Let's see what we got here. I'm curious if we've changed any minds or if people were kind of already thinking that. We've got a couple of no's, which is interesting. So some people are still saying we shouldn't be multi-threading as early as possible. If you disagree, I'd love, you know, kind of the the reasoning behind it in the chat. I'd love to kind of See some of this discourse, why some folks think it's still not relevant. Um, we have a couple of cool questions in the chat too. So, uh, we have one question How do you ask the contact if you do not know if they would be a champion who you should talk with? So, I think I'm understanding that question correctly. Like, how do you ask them if you're not sure they're going to be the best champion?
1: I think, you know, it's, it's a delicate uh, conversation that you have to have, but you have to have it in a way where you're not coming at them directly saying, like, well, are you the decision maker? Like, are you, you going to get this done? Like, you have to suss that out with however you typically run your discovery calls. So, um, you know, I saw someone, I think it was Jen Allen posted the other day about how she hates the question, um, who would feel left out if they weren't involved in this conversation. It's like, like, I use that sometimes. What should, What else should I use? So, you know... <laughs> Something that that I'm still figuring out, but that's where I like to pull in the the pre-call research and say, you know, typically VPs of sales like to have their eyes on a tool we'll like Speckett. Is Josh the right person to be reaching out to? And then if they're like, you can watch their body language. If they're like, oh, woo, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, Maybe I'll bring in my colleague and their colleague is someone who's more junior than them. Like, then you know that that might be someone that is not going to necessarily be a champion, but they'll be an influencer. You're you, Some of the traits that, in my opinion, you want to be looking for for a champion versus an influencer is someone who can clearly get the right people in the room without a lot of your help. So for example, I had a champion recently who, uh, I, she was great. She was a former project manager. And so she knew exactly like how to run. She's also a former AE, And so uh, I was like, this is a dream. But she had enough clout internally to get the right people in the room for sometimes an hour long demo and then several 30 minute long follow ups after that. And so if you've got someone who's trying to get the people in the room, they're not able to like nail them down for a time or get them to commit to a meeting. That's how you know you might be dealing with an influencer versus a champion. And I'm sure, Nate, you probably have more examples of traits to be on the lookout for. But those are some of the main ones that that I look for.
2: Yeah. I mean, speak of working with your champion in order to multi-thread. If you look at it from their perspective, reasons why they wouldn't help you multi-thread, if they don't trust that this deal is the right fit for the team, they're not going to want to bring it in front of others. And so if there are still lingering doubts or questions there and you're pushing to multi-thread, you're going to run into a brick wall. Um, If there's not transparency, like if they feel they need to hide or withhold some information from you, they're just going to be like, hey, let me run this internally and then I'll I'll follow up um, and I'll get back to you. And there has to be a sense of teamwork, too. Like, I'm going to be better off with Morgan in the conversation with my leadership team than if I just do this alone. And so trust, teamwork, transparency, like if those three things aren't part of what the champion or on the buyer's point of view that they're feeling, then they're going to throw up some of those blockers and they're going to say, eh, let me just, I'll do this and I'll let you know.
0: I like this a lot. It's such a good question. And I also think that it's important to identify your influencers, decision makers, champions, it's important to identify everyone as early as possible. So, not just your champion, but all of the different people who will have influence, whether that's decision making power or just influence. Um, like, you know, personally, when I was selling a platform that was for marketers and sellers, I would actually go to these sellers. A lot of people are like, why would you try to prospect a seller? And I was like, why not? They're going to be the ones using this. Why not get the whole team on board, excited about this platform, and then go to their boss and be like, hey, I've spoken with a bunch of folks on your team. They're all super excited about this. I thought I'd show this to you now. You know what I mean? So there, there's kind of value in getting herd mentality, or what is it called? Herd? Yeah, herd, herd mentality. Get the herd together. <laughs> pack? Yeah, herd packs mentality. I don't know, something, but it, it, it's and there's value in that. Um, so, final question for the audience, and you can feel free to keep putting questions in the chat and in the QA box has multi-threading ever backfired on you? Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, Morgan mentioned kind of early on, sometimes people say, don't reach out to these people. Have you ever done that anyway? And has it backfired on you? <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing a lot of yeses. So i hope that this show was really helpful for you because I think when multi-threading backfires on you, it's because you're not doing it strategically or in kind of like a thoughtful manner. So I hope that this show kind of helped give you a bunch of resources and motions and plays to multi-thread. And we're gonna take a couple questions now from the QA. All right. So Kate asks, can you share some strategies for getting access to power? Important aspect of multi-threading. It's so different in the S B G R B space. Not sure what that means. Uh,
1: okay. I'm guessing SB might mean small business. Okay. G- I don't know. Uh, Kate, if you want to add any details for this. Oh, small business. Awesome. Okay,
0: cool. Um, Access to power. So, Kate, do you mean access to kind of like higher level personas? I think that's what she means. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Rhythm makers.
1: Yeah. So, I think, Kate, something that um, has worked for me in the small business space is to be sure that you, like, let's say you're trying to get to um, the COO of a small business and you're working with someone in operations who reports to them. I think really seeking to understand what's on the COO's plate. What projects are they working on right now? What's top of mind for them? You know, how do you think this would be helpful in helping them achieve their goals? And then again, taking that information and using that in your outreach, if you're first point of contact is perhaps not willing to actually make the introduction. Um, I think that getting access to power is always like, if someone had the magic bullet to that, there would be no salespeople. (laughs) I think that that's part of selling and growing trust internally, but that's a great way when you can use multi-threading to, um, speak with other folks in different parts of the organization, even if it is a small business to continue to build your case internally. So then when it is time, to have that conversation with the decision maker you've got buy-in from multiple different teams and you've got a really strong business case
2: awesome answer yeah and i'll just add to the point on building the business case it'll start back in discovery as you're going deep are you layering the problem from just say like functional workflow level issue to more strategic impact to more of a cross-functional nature. Like if you're trying to get to an executive, typically they're going to be overseeing a number of different teams. If you're only solving a problem for one single team, or there's not really a strategic element to it, it's just like a, "hey, this process sucks type thing, then your messaging really isn't going to be enough to elevate the conversation up to that point of view from an executive mindset. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great answers. Um, So we have a couple of questions in the chat. I know we touched on these topics a little bit, but maybe we could kind of just circle back and recapsulate this. So like, what are your thoughts on CCing the person who refers you to the correct contact in an email?
1: Ooh, I have a personal experience with this. Um, so I think that it's very important to do it respectfully and only if your point of contact gives the green light. I had a run-in with someone who was trying to peddle their AI tool to me and I tried it and I was like, this is fun, but like we're not in a position to buy. Like I literally slacked our VP of finance and he was like, I'm not gonna sign you up for the free trial because you're not like we're not gonna sign for this. Like we just don't have the budget right now. We really do not have the budget. And um, so the AE was actually great. He was like, Okay, you know, I understand that. Like, happy to stay in touch. The CEO then started messaging me on LinkedIn. I didn't respond, didn't respond, didn't respond. Then Several weeks later, he cc'd me on an email to our SVP of Sales, talking about this product, and I was like, I was livid. I sent, I, I, I didn't send it, but I like rage typed out this whole email about like why this was inappropriate, and nothing ever came from it. But that's that's the wrong way to do it, in my opinion. But Nate, curious to hear your feedback.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a bummer. Um, It feels kind of gross. I, uh, I, I just typed in some example language that you could bring up in conversation where you're just asking for permission in talking about a preference. It's like, hey, you mentioned you need to keep this contact posted. It's always helpful when we're on the same thread in case questions, changes, things come up. So I can either write a quick update CCing you or I could pass it on to you. You can share it and CC me. What are you more comfortable with? Um, and then just tie it back to the context of like, hey, when these um, projects are successful, we roll these out together. This is the process. These are the people included. What's your preference and how we run this together? Um, very different from a bummer of an experience, Morgan that you had there.
0: Yes. <laughs> Respect should always come first, right? No, that's, it's, that is a bummer, Morgan. I'm sorry. Um, well, listen, to end on a positive note, I hope that everyone's gotten so much value from this show. Nate, Morgan, really can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing not only your wisdom and insights, but, you know, some tactical templates and advice that people can take away hopefully today um, and to start multithreading more effectively. So let's connect. Um, you know, if you found this show valuable, we have tons. Uh, the Daily Show is a fantastic resource for folks in this space. So you can visit us on the web, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. And please connect with all of us on LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, so much. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Morgan.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Bye, everyone.